Uh, let's pray before we jump into chaos. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're on the throne this morning. I thank you that in your world there is no such thing as chaos. I thank you that when you look down upon us, you're not worried or unsure or scurrying about what's going on down on earth and what am I going to do, but you are ever confident and holy and perfect and governing and sovereign over all things. And so we rest in that this morning. And so I pray that as we engage a well familiar text, that God, you would set us free. That God, you would take the battles we're facing in our lives, you take the fear we're facing in our lives, and you would bring the foundation of Jesus Christ's presence in the midst of chaos and uncertainty. Um, God, I need your power to guard my words. I need your power to, to teach this morning. Um, and so would you move, and would you teach me as I teach. God, thank you for your word, and we rest in you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so I think I jokingly said as, uh, to somebody when we were beginning, that uh, I think we could do this series for like the rest of our history as a church. And we could tweak it, and we could call it Life is Chaos. Um, it's interesting because, I, I don't know about you, but I, I think that where there's chaos, oftentimes we feel the weight of shame. What I mean by that is like, Sometimes it's, it's the way people project it on us. Sometimes we project it on ourselves. Sometimes it's a skewed view of, of God. But we feel like as people, we're supposed to have everything all together. I'm like, I'll just give you a, a real quick illustration. I didn't plan to say this, but I'll say it. Um, so we had um, some of the leaders of North Church over last night and, uh, and just had some dinner together. And, um, and so the kids are playing everywhere. And so I made a point to shut my garage Right? Because you don't want to go in my garage. It's life in chaos. And so we push everything. And so, um, and so I'm like, all these people are coming over. Like, I don't want anybody to see my garage. And so I shut the garage. And, well, all the kids all of a sudden make their way out front. And the garage is just open. And all the bikes are out. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, the garage is open. Everyone's going to see my awful garage. Like, I'm supposed to be this put-together, like, organized guy. And, um, and so I was like, I, I, I know the trick. So I go and I shut my garage and I pull the cable. And I'm like... We're good to go. There's not going to get it open. And so um, we're eating, hanging out. And next thing I know, like, I'm like, how did that bike get out? Because at one point, Mikhail brought her scooter, like, through the house. Like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. He brings her scooter. And then, but then there's, like, the bike. And I didn't see a bike come through. And I go outside, and the garage is open. I'm like, Mikhail, how did the garage get open? She told me who opened it. Someone uh, just lifted the garage door. I'm like, what kid knows how to do that? My cover is... You weren't there. It was one of yours. It's okay. (laughs) Yes. Well done. Well done. Um, 
But it, it, in the midst of that, I, I share that story because I, I feel like as individuals, as, as people, as an individual myself, oftentimes where things are messy and crazy in my life, I feel like I got I to gotta shut the door and lock it because how will it be perceived? And, and there's even in, even in our faith and in the journey of faith where we feel like we don't have it all together, we're so afraid to speak up about that. We're so afraid to be honest about where we're at and I just out the gate want to say that, that in the midst of chaos, chaos does not mean that you're necessarily doing something wrong. Okay, and even as we look in, in this text, as we look at the chaos surrounding the, the story of David and Goliath, what we're going to see is we're going to see that some aspects of it are the result of sin and misfortune and awful choices. And some aspects of it are the fact that we live in a broken world and we can't always manage everything, and nor, nor are we called to. And so I just kind of want to um, hopefully ask the Lord to set us free a little bit regarding this aspect where we have to feel like that we have it all together. Because if we're honest, we just don't. And that where we don't have it all together, we can't just be honest about where we're at and, and what God's doing or where we're not sure what he's doing or where we're struggling or where we're wrestling. And so um, this is a, a, a pretty powerful text. Um, what we've looked at at this point, so we're, we're journeying through the life of David. And David is a unique character because he really doesn't have much to offer from worldly standards, right? Um, so if you're here last week, you, you heard the story where where David was anointed king. Now here's the irony of David being anointed king. What happened? Is they had this anointing ceremony and David wasn't even there, right? You remember this? Okay, let me just rehash it for a second. So David has seven older brothers. So they, they bring all the brothers to this ceremony and they're like, okay, we're picking a king from one of these brothers. And they're going down the line. And what happens? David's not even present. He is not even there because he's a nobody doing nobody's work, tending messy animals. And God, in that moment, when he's identifying who's going to replace Saul, he's like, we're missing somebody. And the brothers are like, no. Yeah. We're missing somebody. Don't, don't you have another brother? I love when God like questions you and he, you're like, God, don't you know the answer? He knows the answer. He's like, don't you have another brother? Um, yeah. He's in the field doing, he's a, he's a moron. Get him. That's my guy. It's like, what? Like, he's, he's this little puny boy who becomes king against all odds. Why? Because God does things differently than we do. God's plans are different. His ways are different. And in the midst of this journey, he was moving David as king, and he's moving us from this place of fear to a place of faith. And so this morning, as we jump into this text, if you have a Bible and you want to get to 1 Samuel 17, if you have your Life in Chaos book, it's page 20. The context is this. We have the Israelites are at war. Now, I've never been in war, I don't, um, but I've watched war movies, I've, I've heard, I've had conversations with people about just the chaos and the craziness that's present, not only in the outward, like, circumstantial things, but just, like, the war within, the fear, the uncertainty. Um, they're at war, and if you want to describe it in one word, it's chaos. It's chaos. Um, I, let's read this together. 
I was almost going to make Kelly read this, because uh, especially verse 1, but I'll attempt to butcher some of these uh, cities. Sorry, Kelly. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sakah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sakah and Ezekah, and Ephes Demin. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the, get this picture. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side. So you got the Philistines on one side. And Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Okay, so, I mean, just picture this scene where it's like we're stationed here, the enemy's stationed there, and we're face-to-face ready for battle. Okay? They're engaging in battle. And then comes the trump card. Right? The battle against all odds. Verse 4, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat of mail was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. Now, translation Goliath was about nine foot nine. His body armor, this is crazy, his armor alone weighed 200 pounds. His armor, the, the head of his spear weighed 25 pounds. So we're like, man, I curled that. Like, that's what he's fighting with. Okay, like this is a big dude. This is a guy who like you bring him out and like everyone's running. Okay, and so here's, here's what's interesting is the Philistines, they were more prone to one-on-one combat. Like the Israelite armies, they didn't do like one. They fought in our, as armies. So this idea that Goliath comes out and what he does is he shows himself and then he asks for a challenger. He asks like, who wants to take me on? Okay, and everyone in the room would run except for Abe. Okay, but... Um, It'll be a good fight. I'd put it be a good fight. Don't you got anybody? Anybody think Abe would? No. Um, so but but here's what's interesting is the Philistines, even this even this warrior, what he's doing is he's he's exploiting a weakness because the Israelite army, they weren't they didn't do much like like one on one, like let's just fight it out between the two of us. But this is what Goliath is doing. He's looking for a challenger, and here's here's what's on the line. As he says this, as he says um, la- later on that we're going to fight. Bring me one guy and we'll go head to head. And the loser is enslaved to us. We'll do whatever we want. Okay, now that's, that's, I mean, that's not like just for bragging rights. Like this is the freedom of the nation. Okay, that's a pretty hefty deal. Um, now, look at verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Yeah, <laughs> right? Like, does that surprise anybody? No, like, like, that's how I would be if I was in that situation as, well, here's, here's the thing that I feel like is so true in life is that where there's chaos, oftentimes there's fear. 
Because chaos is, is uncertainty. It's things that aren't, you, you don't have control of. And when we feel like we have control, then we feel like, okay, I, I can trust. I'm okay. But here in this moment, like, there's not control. Okay, maybe it's being overwhelmed by a task that's bigger than you. Something that like, man, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Maybe it's a challenge you've never faced before. Something out in front you're trying to figure out. I've never done this before. I don't know how to do this. It breeds fear. It's chaos and it breeds fear. Maybe it's being forced to fight in a battle you didn't choose. Like there's battles that as Christians we should choose and we should engage in and we should involve ourselves in. There's, there's things that we choose to fight, right? There's other things and there's times like when we begin to engage in a, in a battle for the kingdom that we don't really fully realize what we're getting ourselves into, right? So we might sign up to love on a difficult family or um, a challenging kid or engage with the broken in a way or, or, or whatever, fight in my marriage, um, fight to save and stay married, not, yeah, you know what I mean, um, but sometimes when we step into that arena, what we're signing up for becomes something different, right? It becomes a little more chaotic, or I didn't know it would go this way. I didn't know it would happen this way. Anybody been there? That's, that's chaos. And it's how do, how do we respond to that? And what I, what I want to see this morning as we navigate through, um, we're not even going to get to the battle. So don't worry, I'm not going through the whole chapter, but we're not even going to get to the battle. But as we navigate through, I think there's some really important things that we can look at and see how, who do we be as people in the midst of crazy? As people who are crazy, because there's kind of some crazy in all of us, right? But picture this. So the Israelites, they're, they're being challenged for 40 days, every morning and every night, by this behemoth giant um, who's just sure to step on them and destroy them. I want a challenger. I want a challenger. I mean, imagine that. Imagine waking up and you're like, here we go again. Here's Goliath. Somebody's got to face him. Like, would that not seem like the most impossible? There's no way. Like, I don't, like, how in the world are we going to find victory? Can you imagine waking up with that? And maybe some of you are like, that's just my world. Like, I wake up and I feel the weight of life. And I believe there's no victory. I believe there's no means of getting out of the mess and the chaos that I find my life in. And maybe it's not even like something you chose or something you navigated in or something you like, I wanted to go here, but you just found yourself where you are. What do you do in those moments? What do you do? The mess of kids, pressures and challenges at work, maybe even losing a job. Finding out the reality of debt. What do you, what do, you do? I, I want to I zero in on David and the unbelievable leader that he was in the midst of this. But before we get to David, I think there's some key players in this story that I think that maybe we could identify with and learn from and maybe learn from a bad example of how do we press forward when life is crazy and, and wh- what don't we do and what do we do in a walk seeking to trust the Lord, because David, we see the unbelievable leader that he becomes. And if you've been around church for any length of time and even haven't been around church, you know the story of David and Goliath, okay? Let me just let the cat out of the bag. David beats Goliath, okay? Um, sorry. You're like, if you need to leave, you, got the, you know what's going down. So um, see ya. Just wanted to give you that in case you got to head out early. 
in case you didn't know. Um, I want to give you four unhealthy responses to chaos. Four unhealthy responses to chaos. Or even can be the means of causing chaos. The first one is, is King Saul. Look at verse 11. We just read, I want to read it again. Saul, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Saul's life was marked by fear and disobedience. God told him to do this, he did this. God told him to be this kind of king, he was this kind of king. God told him to do this, he's like, I don't believe that, I don't trust that, I'm going to do this. That's what his life was marked by. He was the guy who's like, I'm afraid, but I don't run to God. That's what Saul's life was marked by, his entire life, his king, his, his reign. And in the midst of chaos, I think we can be that, right? Like oftentimes when, when we're uncertain about what's ahead, when we're uncertain about the present circumstances we find ourselves in, what do we do? Fear paralyzes us. Have you been there? It's like you don't want to step forward. You don't want to step this way. You're like, I don't even know if I should go backwards. Like I don't know what to do. That's Saul, paralyzed by fear. The only thing he would do is run from obedience. Okay, but here's what's interesting is later on in the story, when David finally comes to agree, I'll fight Goliath. Do you remember what, ha- what Saul tries to do? He's like, uh, you know, first he's like, there's no way you could do this, right? Um, but then he's like, well, here's what you need. You need this takes off his shield, puts it on David. You need this. You need this. He starts giving him all this armor, starts giving him all this stuff. And then you can picture like, you know, me putting my hunting clothes on Amelia, right? And you can't even see her underneath them, right? And David's like, I can't, I can't fight in this. Like, what's Saul doing? He's relying and even trying to get David to rely upon man-made tactics, human effort, all like these things, like this is what you need to defeat Goliath. Can we just be clear? There's no defeating Goliath apart from a movement of God. I'll get into this a bunch next week, but the reality is that that battle was won before it even began because it was God's work. But that's what Saul did. And I wonder just where, where are you like Saul in your life where fear just cripples you? You know, like, you know, you're not willing to step forward, not willing to walk in. Man, this is where I feel like God's leading. Well, that doesn't make sense. And how will people respond? And, well, you know, that's what Saul did. And I think our tendency in chaos can be that way. The, the second one is the, the Israelite army. There's a whole lot I could say here, but let's just go to verse 24. Verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man... Talking about Goliath, fled from him and were much afraid. Okay? And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. So, um, again, a, a fearful armor. But here's what I think, what, what I learned from looking at the nation of Israel, not just throughout the whole Old Testament, but even in this particular story, is that for 40 days and 40 nights, while they were waiting for Goliath, while they were seeing Goliath come forward, ask for a challenger, they began to grow accustomed to being content with the bondage that they were in. I think we can be that way, right? Like when life 
consumes you and you know you're in the mess of life and even the mess of your own sin and you don't know how to get out, what do you do? You just grow content with where you are. I grow content with just compromise and, well, we're just, we're in deep. There's no getting out. There's no way I can find victory here. I mean, look at this guy. That's who they were. They were content with bondage. That's what I love about David that we'll talk about even more in a second is he wasn't content with this mammoth of a guy coming and taunting them. He's like, no, we're going to stand against this. Now, did he have all the wisdom of how to do that? No, he had God. That's it. That's all you need. The Israelite army, they were just so content. We're just, like, we're just done. Like, we'll fight a little bit, but like, I'm just okay to not be okay. And in fact, I'm okay with just staying right where I'm at. And I just want to ask you if maybe you find yourself there this morning. Because here's what I know. The bigger the chaos, the more content we are to remain in our bondage and allow our enemy to taunt us. And the quieter the voice of God gets and the victory of God gets. Because we begin to believe, I can't win. And the truth is is that when we start believing that, it actually becomes true. It actually becomes true. True inside. Man, I just, as you, as you sit here, let me just ask this question. Where are you in bondage? Where, where do you just feel the weight of life pressing on you? And you just are in this place where you're believing, gosh, I just don't. This is what I want. This is what I know God wants for me. I just don't think it's possible. And can I just lovingly say you're sitting under the weight of your own bondage and the lies of the enemy. And maybe that's been the case for your entire life. Here's what's crazy. Is God says, today is the day I want to save you. Today is the day I want to rescue you out of that. But you've got to stop believing the lie that you're in so deep and you can't get out because the truth is you can't unless you come to me. I'm the only one who can defeat Goliath. He wants to give victory today. He wants to set you free today. But then look at Goliath. Maybe you find yourself at times being like Goliath. Like, did you ever bully anyone growing up? I mean, if we're just honest, there's something. Like, let like, just be honest here a sec. There's something fun about being a bully, right? Because it's like there's nothing they can do. They don't have the power or the strength to respond or to defeat me. There's nothing they can. That's Goliath. He's the bully who's taunting God's people, like, come and get me. Like, there's no way you can defeat me. He's fighting all the little Davids in his life. Maybe that's you. Like, you go after the battles, you know you can win. Like, I know I can defeat that. I know I can conquer that. I know I can conquer that. Oh, man, I don't know about that. I'm not going over there. That's Goliath. He knew he he could fight. He knew he could defeat David. He couldn't. But, I mean, that's the taunting, this posturing and posing for 40 days where he's like, this is who I am, exploiting the weaknesses of his, of his opponents. Where do you tend to be like Goliath? Where there's no faith, where you don't step out in, gosh, God, I don't, I don't know. Like, look at David. 
Like, he stepped out, and you, you know, like, there's got to be this, like, I mean, you look at his psalms. Rick, thanks for bringing that psalm to us this morning. You look at his psalms, and you're like, man, this is a man for God's own heart, but he was uncertain a lot. And he's like, God, if you don't show up. And so, like, in a second, we'll read some of the, some of the words about him believing that God would give him the victory. But you've got to wonder if there's a point in the back of his mind, like, what if God doesn't? Can we just be honest that that's, that's not a thought of, like, a lack of faith? I don't believe. Like, to be in this place, I believe it's an active step of faith to say, God, if you don't come through, I am through. But faith is where you step out to put yourself in that situation And you believe that God will. And where you are uncertain and you doubt, you give that. You say, God, I, God, I don't trust you, but I know this what you're calling me to. Here we go. Here we go. Scary, isn't it? Scary. It's hard. It's so hard. It's just so much easier just to fight battles you know you can win. So much easier just to press forward with. I know I can conquer this relationship. I know I can out-argue this person. I know I can outbid this person. But it's hard to put yourself in a place where you come across as maybe you're just not the smartest person in the room or you're not the quickest person in the room or you don't have the best credentials in the room. And then watch God use the humility and the weakness of man to shame the wise. It's hard. While the bully might win the moment, he never wins in the end because cowards never win in the kingdom of God. Cowards never win. The last one, before we get to David, um, this is probably good for us who've been in church a long time, is David's oldest brother, Eliab. Look at, uh, look at verse 28. So David shows up. Let me give a little background. Because um, obviously there's a whole lot of verses, so we haven't read through this whole section. But um, So David comes back from tending the sheep. And we'll see in a second that Eliab is not happy about it at all. Um, and uh, David begins to have some conversation about who, what's, this, what's this giant wanting? Like, what is he wanting, you know, what's he asking for? And if, if he gets beat, what's on the table here? What's on the line? He begins asking these questions. The oldest brother, look at what he says, verse 28. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. So he hears David's voice, right? And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. I know that's not typical of siblings. So it's a unique situation in the text, right? Um, brothers never fight. Uh, so his anger... That was a joke. You can laugh. Okay. We'll keep going on. Um, so, so his anger is kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? So he's just like, go back to your being a nobody, doing a nobody's job, because you're just a piece of junk. Why are you even here with the men who are doing battle? All the while, they're like, who's going to fight the giant? And then look at what he says. I know your presumption and the evil in your heart. For you've come down to see the battle. 
I know the presumption and the evil in your heart. Now, I don't have time to unpack why I think that is unbelievably wrong and walk through all the images here in the text surrounding David and why he's there in the battle, but I don't think he has evil in his heart. For one, he argues numerous times in 1 Samuel 17 about how are we going to stand in the midst of this giant defaming a holy God. He's not there for himself. But here's what I think where we can tend to be Eliab's is here's a guy, here's a fierce leader. Not fierce in size and stature, and, but fierce in his faith. And I think as, as, as individuals who maybe have a tendency to be an Eliab, to be judgmental, to be critical, to be assuming or harsh with our words, where we're, where we're not empowering, like where we see a godly young leader who's wanting to do work for the Lord, and we just want to be critical, like, what's your motivation? What are you trying to get? What are you trying to do? That's what he's doing. He's destroying his younger brother. He's eating him up with his words. He assumes wrong motives. And what is it about older brothers loving to sucker punch their younger brothers? Any older brothers in the room? Why? Because the older brother wants to be the hero. The older, like, I'm the firstborn. Like, I want to be that. I want to be a strong and a hero. And Well, then learn from your younger brother what it looks like to be a hero. That's, that's what David models, right? Because he doesn't sit under the pressure of his older brother. Or let's just say that, that punk who's not willing to let his bold faith actually conquer something for the people that are around him. But he's like, you're little. Go back and do whatever you do. Man, I think we can be that sometimes. I can be that sometimes. I just assume things are wrong. When younger and godly leaders rise up, don't assume they have an evil heart. Don't assume they just want fame. Don't be a religious punk. In your insecure fear, disempower them. Don't leave them in the field tending the sheep. As God's people, that's our call is to empower and where we see bold faith. Man, push people to run in that and learn from that. Don't just sit back and be like, I don't have that kind of faith, so you must be in sin. No. Man, I want to learn from somebody who has, can trust God way better than I can. And let's just be honest, that's all of us in various arenas. Like you look across the room and you can see somebody that's so much more greater in faith in a certain area of their journey than you. You can look across the room and see somebody else that's so much more greater in faith in another journey than you. And what do we do? Do we like critique them and be mean to them or judgmental or assume like, well, that's just manipulation? No, like, man, see where God's empowered people to walk in bold faith for his kingdom and learn and trust and empower them Let's not be critical. Again, it's hard. It's hard because we have an enemy and he's crafty and he wants to feed us these lies. But what's the right response to chaos? So those were were four unhealthy responses in in the figures in the story. But let's just take a minute to look at David. Um, Here's the crazy thing about David. He wasn't the popular pick, right? Like He wasn't the first-round draft pick. He wasn't the guy that everyone was like... That's our guy. That's the guy that will set us free. 
But here's the truth about David is he knew I'm the leader who trusts God more than the leader I don't, who doesn't trust. Let me say that again. I'm the leader who trusts God more than I don't trust myself. He wasn't paralyzed, okay? Um, here's the thing about looking at the Old Testament. Um, one of the things that we are so um, intentional about here as a church is always pointing to Jesus, always looking to Jesus. Where do we see Jesus? Um, anytime you're reading in the Old Testament, oftentimes what you will see is there's images and there's people in the Old Testament who are a, a type of Christ. And a, a type of Christ or a Christ type is someone who demonstrates who Jesus will be or what Jesus will do, okay? Or foreshadows, okay? David is one of those individuals. David is someone who foreshadows the image of Jesus and the work of Jesus, okay? So I want to walk through a couple different things as we hone in on the life of David and how to manage chaos, about how, how like Jesus, David acted. Okay, um, here's the crazy thing about David. No one wanted to fight Goliath, right? But David was the one singular leader who said, I'll go. Why? Like, why do you think? Because he's a moron, like, scrappy little young kid. He's like, I I'll do it. Take my life. I'll do it. Is that why you did it? No. He believed the battle was won before he engaged in the battle. Right? He knew. He knew. Otherwise, he's a moron. He knew, like, God's, God's got this victory. God called him to this. Okay? Did he want to get destroyed by a giant? No. Did Jesus want to get destroyed by a cross? No. Jesus trusted in a father who he knew was wise. And even though Jesus was like, God, I don't want to engage in this. I don't want to face this challenge of the cross. If there's any way, take this cup from me. In a similar way, David is that picture of the one leader who said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, even at the expense of my life. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Because I want to stand up for your name. But more than that, I want to be empowered by your spirit. That's the thing about David is he also trusted God's spirit more than he didn't trust himself. Because he, let, me, let me unpack that for a second. Because when, when we don't trust ourselves, we can sit in the, man, I don't know if I can. And that can just own us and never get us anywhere in our journey. But when we believe God's spirit, that's what David was doing. He was trusting God. You got this. The Lord will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine, verse 37 says. The Lord will deliver me. He trusted. It's so easy for our insecurities to paralyze us. But you know what's crazy about that picture of David? is that you know Jesus depended upon the Spirit in his journey and faith? Jesus depended upon the Spirit to empower him, to enable him, to, to conquer the grave. Like Jesus, David fights for the fame and victory of God alone. It's interesting, I was talking with somebody yesterday who when reading this text was, was struggling with like verses 24 through 27, this idea that David seems to kind of have this skewed view of 
he, he wanted to know, what, like, what do I get out of this if I win? Um, and, and when I look at that, here's what I see. Is I see David not with an impure heart to fight this battle, but I see David with a, as a guy who says, for who is this uncircumcised, this is verse 26, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So he's not only defending the name of God, he's exalting the name of God. Goliath, what happens when you exalt your own name? What happens when you pose and posture your, yourself like, look at me, look at what I'm doing, look at, how, look at this battle I'm fighting, look at how successful I am. Like, what does that get Goliath? Not only his own death, but the captivity of his entire army. Or you have David who's, who's like, I'm only about the victory that God wants. I'm only about exalting him. This isn't about me. I think of all the Psalms I'll get to write and will be in the Bible. The people years later will be able to read and pat me on the back. That's not what he's thinking about. Lastly, he delivered the entire nation of Israel from their bondage. I'll spend a lot of time unpacking this next week, but I picture this. The whole army is scared and in bondage and in captivity to the Philistines and their giant. And if somebody doesn't step up, they're done. And what happens? David, through his bold obedience, sets free the entire nation. And what we'll see next week is they run in freedom and joy and begin to destroy the rest of the army because their leader is gone. Listen, this is Jesus. This is, he delivers his people from the captivity of sin. That's what Jesus does. That's why we're here. That's why we celebrate as God's people is that through the cross, Jesus conquered the sin and, the, and set free all of us. So Jesus is the true and better David. He's the perfect shepherd. He's the sinless leader. He's the perfect one who delivered us from our enemies. Jesus is the true and better David. So when we read this story and we see what David's done and what, who David is as a bold leader who trusts God to be faithful in the midst of chaos, Here's what we see is we see David as a picture of Jesus Christ. We see David as one who's a forerunner and foreshadowing the work that Jesus will do. I want, you to, I want to end with verses 45 through 47 because these are profound. Listen to these words. David's standing face to face with the Philistine. And we know how the battle ends. But listen to these words. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. He's like, that's, that's the only power I have to stand here and fight What's sure to be my death, apart from a God who gives victory 
So David knew going in what would happen. Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Listen, that's the testimony of our lives as his people. Is that all the earth would know. God's real. Like through the way we live our lives. You know many people out there, you know how, how often I struggle with, God, what are you doing? Are you real today? And I need to see you living out the reality that God's real. And remind me, hey, like, why are you living in fear and insecurity? Like, God's real. That's what David's doing that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give it into our hands. I just want to remind you this morning that God is real. Now hear that. God is real and he's active and he's alive And he's victorious. He enables us to press forward in the midst of the chaos of our lives in a way that shows that he is God. Regardless of how it makes us look. Because people laugh at us, scoff us. And God's just beckoning us to trust him. Let's pray and let's prepare to respond to the Lord God. I thank you for your word. God, thank you that you bring peace in the midst of chaos. Thank you that you, you're the victorious warrior. Thank you for being our deliverer. God, I pray for those in this room that maybe are sitting in the weight of their own shame and the bondage of their own struggle. God, I pray that you would set them free. That today would be the day of their salvation from that. They trust in you. God, I pray for those of us in this room that are souls that are steeped in our fear, paralyzed in it. For those of us in this room that are the nation of Israel that are just content with our bondage, thinking there's no way of escape. For those of us that are Goliaths that like to taunt and only fight the battles we know we can win and not walk out in faith, would you lead us to repentance? For those of us that are Eliabs, they just have the tendency to be critical and you'll never be as good as me. God, forgive me for being that, God. God, I know David wasn't perfect, but I want to be like David. I want to have a heart that wants only your fame. God, would you bring life out of the chaos of our lives? Would you lead us as we engage with you and respond to you? In Jesus' name, amen.